Hello and welcome to episode 92 of the Good Good Golf Podcast, Rod Murray guiding proceedings as we sound the klaxon and prepare to dive into the less navigated waters of the golf world. The Ryder Cup result continues to dominate discussion, but is there anything worth exploring about the week at Whistling Straits beyond just the outcome? Does the Cup tell us anything about the state of the game, the direction it's moving, things we're getting both right and wrong? We'll explore some of that, plus plenty more from around the world of golf on this week's show. When I say we, I mean, of course, my regular co-conspirator, Adrian Logue, who I think has something to add to his thoughts from last week about the bunkers at Whistling Straits. Logue? Uh, we'll, we'll see. Is now the time, is it? Well, you might as well get it over with. Well, I, I feel like I, you know, I owe Whistling Straits an apology. Uh, I feel like I owe our listeners an apology. I've misled them. Have you damaged your brand, Adrian? <laughs> well, I, I, let's not go that far. But <laughs> we'll I, I, the- I also, yeah. I've got to confess to hacking the data a little bit about <laughs> Whistling Straits bunkers. <laughs> um, and on a personal note, I've already sent a message off to Herb Kohler, actually, to... Uh, uh, There's a whole Cambridge but, Analytica thing here. We didn't know it happened, but it's just been revealed. So this is fantastic. We'll get the but, details. Yes, my, my bunker per player stats didn't prove didn't to, prove to have any relevance at all because people went in a lot of bunkers. In a lot of bunkers, that's exactly right. And they were very, very penal. <laughs> and, and actually, the uh, the stat that I didn't reveal last week, this is this is my deception, actually. The, the stat that I didn't reveal last week was that in that 2015 PGA, the bunkers were far more penal than any other PGA in the period that I measured and far more penal than the t- PGA Tour on average, like to the tune of like 20% more difficult. Our so. listeners are loyal, Logue. Why would you lie to them? Why would you feel the need to do that? Uh, it's 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 on me, right? I just, yeah, I sincerely regret the- uh, any, any hurt and confusion that may have been caused. Yeah. <laughs> well, good stuff. We'll get to the specifics of that later. Also joining us today is our conduit to the youth of the game, a man who's no longer quite young, we can still see youth from where he is, Golf Australia. Magazine Deputy Editor Jimmy Emanuel. Welcome, brah. Is that how the kids say it? Hello, fellow cheeseheads. I think that's how they say it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Heads. What the hell's the cheesehead thing about? <laughs> and if, if Adrian's not going to damage his own brand, I'm more than happy to damage it for him. So. <laughs> yeah. Fill us in, fill us in. Let's start with, and we'll come back, we'll come to you first, Like Just very quickly off the top of your head, highlights and lowlights from the Ryder Cup. And I'm thinking less about the actual golf. We know what the result was and that sort of stuff. But it's a big event. Does it tell us anything about the game? What were the highlights and lowlights? Yeah, look, it, it's the Americans really come to mind. Like, the, the Europeans obviously were just old. I think I said it last week that I just couldn't see how they could come together. I did get that one right. And uh, I my, my takeaway from it, is still to marvel at just uh, to some extent what a golf powerhouse the US is and have been for such a long time. At least in men's golf, it's it's really an amazing phenomenon. Like I know they're by far the biggest uh, country in terms of the number of people, and there's a lot of privilege that goes into being an American in general. And uh, the opportunities that it affords you. Unlike us here in Australia, where we really battle for everything, Logue. <laughs> no, I mean, that's just where the weight of numbers overcomes yes, us there. Of but uh, nonetheless, you know, it's just America became the dominant country in golf back when, I guess, Francis were met. And they've sustained that dynasty mm. for, you know, it's over 100 years now. And, uh, look, you know, obviously the South Koreans are a dominant force in the women's game. Um, and you have these exceptions where Europe wins uh, very consistently with Ryder Cups. But I, I think Patrick Cantlay's thing about gin rummy or whatever the hell he was talking about actually has some merit that, you know, there's just not a big enough sample set there. And sometimes 
you flip the coin and the other side wins. Um, and they're very good players over in Europe, but they that depth that they've got in America is just astounding. And we saw it this week with a really strong team. Mm. And uh, uh, it just and I feel I got the feeling they could have fielded another two teams and yeah. they would have been competitive. <laughs> Exactly. It's, You'd it's, think the USB team would, would, would give the Europeans a run too, wouldn't you? Whereas you yeah. might not say so the that, same about the European B team. That's maybe the No, that's right. The two. So, I mean, that, that's the positive. But the negative, of course, is that there's a, um, a heap of buffoons in that team and, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and uh, led by, uh, by uh, Thomas, Justin Thomas, uh, whose behaviour I thought was just ridiculous and – uh, yeah, I, I think you guys have got more to say about him as well. But no, he'll get a mention, I'm sure. Yeah, um, he should be disappointed. So, Jimmy, highlights and lowlights off the top of your head. What will you remember about this Ryder Cup in five years' time? I think uh, I think John Rahm was a bit of a highlight and something to remember. Mm. Uh, he played fantastic, and him and Sergio together, who were two guys that I didn't think particularly got along that well, um, and they played fantastic golf together. And I, and I actually saw, and I don't know who it was uh, off the top of my head, but someone on Twitter yesterday said they, they spoke to Ram afterwards and, and how impressive the US team was. And he said he had to play his ass off basically to make it to 16 each day. So he Better was very Rory. impressive. Did Rory and, get to 16 uh, any day? Did he even get to 16 in the match that he won in the singles? I don't think Rory saw 16, 17. No, no I don't think so. Right? No. It's a shame. Uh, some good holes there. <laughs> yeah, there's yeah some good, 17's a great hole to watch in match You'll have to go back and play it when he's on holiday so that you can see what it's like. <laughs> but uh, the dominance of the Americans yeah. was was pretty unbelievable. I mean, that, that team was – we knew they were good, but they probably even went above a level than I would expect. Dustin Johnson was, was, was unbelievable. Yeah. You know, five, to, to win five points uh, around that golf course, which was really good, I thought, as well. Um was was incredible from him, and, and he played with, you know, rookies as much as they were rookies for the American team. Um, that was very impressive, and uh, I think one of the other highlights was was Poulter and, and Westwood winning their singles on the last day, given it might be the last time we see them, and, um, you know, Poulter still undefeated, I think it is, in singles and match play. At, in at tears after yeah. it won, just in tears on the edge of the green because the team had lost even though he'd won. And Westwood, of course, had his son caddy for him, which he pointed yeah. to afterwards and said, that is pretty amazing stuff. So, yeah, I think DJ, interesting time in DJ's career, don't you think, Jimmy? He's the He was the oldest player on the team, which yeah. you still find stunning. So, And they, you know, paired with Colin Morikawa, they were deadly, but he played amazing golf. Is DJ capable of, I reckon we keep underestimating him, I know I do, when he cried when he won the Masters last year, I was staggered. I just didn't think that he just didn't think he had it in him. He might have any more than we realise. I reckon he was a real leader there, without obviously being a leader or a cheerleader. Yeah, I think away from the sort of public eye, I think in the team room and stuff, I think he. It sounds like he was a pretty active guy in terms of you know taking the lead and, and running things. He's the oldest guy, but he's I think thirty seven. He's but- not exactly. Not exactly old, but <laughs> not from where you he, sit. <laughs> no, well, but he's uh, he was he was unbelievable, and I think I think we do sort of underrate him so far in his career. Um, he did enter without having done too much individually, so I think that's probably why people were maybe a little surprised at, at how good he played. But um, you know, I think he's going to be a leader on that team for a while, and I, I think he probably took a lot out of that week as well, being the leader and, and playing with those younger guys. And you know, when he's when he's done, I think he's going to have a really really good career, and everyone's going to sort of sit back and go, "Well, maybe I, I didn't rate Dustin Johnson as highly as I can because." 
he makes being exceptionally good look very easy. He does, doesn't he? Mm. Yeah. And there's, without question, I think he would have been the uh, best on ground at the post-match celebrations. He, <laughs> he certainly alluded to that when asked, didn't he? And someone asked him, are you going to be able to keep up with the young boys? He was absolutely striking. Well, he was already he setting a it. cracking pace. Yeah, he was right. leading the Melbourne Cup by five heads <laughs> as they came around the bend. He was... Yeah. <laughs> He, uh, he wasn't wasn't holding back. I thought the highlights for me, the things I remember, I remember Spieth shot from the side of that cliff. That was just extraordinary. The shot itself was amazing. Of course, you know, nearly fall, end up falling in the water. Without Pro Tracer, it would have been just a shot. It made me once again wish we'd had Pro Tracer when Seve played the game. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine some yeah. of the highlights we've had of some of the things he did with the ball? So that was extraordinary. And I thought the low light was Thomas and Berger on the tee, chugging beers, Two days before the cup was over, <laughs> and Kepka abusing the rules official was just that's oh, above yeah. and beyond. And uh, I don't think enough's been made of that. That that's truly that's a concerning development. You expect the poor crowd behaviour, and they've got to do something about that. And you'd wish it wasn't that way, but that's players getting involved, and that's a whole new level, I think, Logan. That's not to be encouraged, and I don't know what the answer is to that, but I don't know how we ended up here. But you can't imagine any former US player doing that that I can think of off the top of my head. I actually can't imagine Dustin Johnson no. doing that. Straight, like, you know, Dustin Johnson has this... Uh, if anyone had a chance to blow up and swear at a rules official at Whistling Straits, it was DJ in 2011. And he didn't. He just went to the shower and then came out and spoke to the press. He's always conducted himself with a strange sort of dignity. Absolutely. Like, extraordinarily so. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, that's that's proving to be um, quite statesmanlike mm. these days amongst that US team. Um, but, yeah, Kepko was a buffoon. Uh, I'm just looking down the team list. Berger was a part of that as well. Yeah. Yep. Um, and well, Berger uh, at the President's Cup, if you recall, back at uh, New Jersey when they played at Liberty National, was the one who wanted to, on Friday night, he made some particularly unpalatable comments about trying to win, you know, and rip, rip the hearts out of people. And it was just undignified. It lacks, yep. it lacks class. Yeah, and, I think that Kepka one was that was the real the real low light. Yeah, the 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 beers on the first tee is not a great look. It it it's probably not ideal, but Immature, it's not a hanging offence. Yeah, it's an it's, immaturity, it, isn't it? Yeah. Being, being sucked into something you shouldn't, you know. Yeah, and it's it's you know, it, I think it can happen in that sort of environment, and we've got more cameras trained around. I thought I thought Thomas spiking the beer can into the first tee was a bad look. That that is an on at a golf course that you know should be treated a little better. Um, but but Kepka threatening a rules official that a broken wrist would be on there on them. Uh, that's. That's just unnecessary, and that sets a horrendous example for any young golfer who would have been watching and, you know, and, and thinks he, of him as a, a great player that they want to mimic, which is just really unfortunate. And um, but to, on the other side of that, Sergio's little bit of uh, little bit of uh, you know match play work coming in and getting involved was pretty fun to watch during the whole thing. So yeah. Are we focusing on the negative? Logan got accused. I wrote a column about this obviously earlier this week and got accused of why you're focusing on the negative. Why is it important that we bring these things up? Uh, well, I think the positive. Well, the Rory McIlroy interview afterwards mm-hmm. showed why it's important. I think because there was a positive and a great role model uh, showing uh, what it meant to be a competitor and and competing in the right sort of spirit. So we saw the contrast there, and it's that contrast that really highlighted what's wrong with the negative. And uh, I think it's worth dwelling on that. Mm. The uh, game's better if we have more Rory McIlroy interviews and less Kepka swearing at officials, for sure. And and that and less of that Justin Thomas 
aggressive mannerisms and things. Like, you know, there's a, I, I think we talked about this in the Solheim Cup, um, that with Altamore, when she was making that little surge on the last day, there was a real sort of joy to the way mm. she was holding putts and creating an energy. And it was, it was very exciting. And there, there wasn't any of that, aggre- that sort of jaw thrusting aggression that in your face. And in yeah, that real in your face, angry um, looking aggression, which is very staged as well. And uh, we get we got that again with Justin Thomas. But and then on the flip side, we saw the opposite with you know Tony Finau when he starts holding putts. There's just a sort of an excitement about him. Um, and Spieth and a bit of dignity. Spieth has a dignity about him. Spieth tried to calm the crowds, as did Finau a couple of times. I think there was that's right. Some were winding the crowds up, and others were trying to. Rain the crowds in a bit. On the Rory thing, Jimmy, I thought this was really important. It was mentioned, but kind of overlooked in the bigger picture. He talked about, he sort of broke down that interview with Sky Sports and talked about, you know, hope little boys and little girls out there want to play in the Ryder Cup. That wasn't staged. That, that he, he The Solheim Cup was front of mind for him then without it being a, you know, something that someone had said to him, oh, you've got to make sure you mention the Solheim. I thought that was really important and really interesting. Yeah, I think, I, I think Rory's... Uh, Rory being Rory is just very impressive now, and and you're exactly right. He, I was watching that live, and and he immediately mentioned the Solheim mm. Cup. But I, I think that was that was kind of drilled into the European tour play, European team all week. Um, Padraig Harrington got Katrina Matthew to stand up during the opening ceremony. She was involved in the week. They they'd had chats with the players, so I think that was more of a team thing. Um, so. Uh, but Rory's Rory's thing was, you know, obviously very heartfelt, and to and to speak to the Solheim Cup during that emotion, having just you know just won his match and finally contributed, was pretty impressive, and suggests just you know, it shows again, I should say, why Rory is so popular and why we should all listen to Rory McIlroy more when he talks about golf. <laughs> the, the game's better when Rory McIlroy is world number one. I've always said that, and it's not just because yeah. of his golf, but because he's a fabulous speaker and Jordan Spieth the same. It was organic. Logan, we've talked about it before here. If the world's top men just talked more about the world's top women, the game would be in a better place, wouldn't it? And that's this is maybe the beginning of that process. It's so easy for them to do as well, mm. isn't it? It just costs them nothing. Yep. And uh, it doesn't have to be um, like a forced appearance or something. It can just come up in an interview in a like mm. off the 18th ground on a PGA Tour event. Like it doesn't, that doesn't mean they actually have to go and uh, take a week off or anything. It does cost them nothing. Just... You know, mention mention the women's game occasionally, and it's amazing what that can do. Well, actually, just watch it a bit, and you know, I would imagine that Rory knows Leona Maguire quite well, and I'm sure he would have watched the Solheim Cup. That's how these things happen. I think he would have watched the Solheim Cup and been impressed with it because he had a personal interest, whereas he may not have otherwise at various times. So that that generational change—that's how it happens, isn't it? And we're seeing that in motion. I thought that was a really interesting. And you're right, Harrington getting Katrina Matherin was fantastic. So maybe he can share the blame with her, Jimmy. He's starting. <laughs> The knives are out for, for Harrington. He's going he's to have to find someone to, to share the blame with. But I, I, I don't think too much blame can be put onto him. Um, he, you know, there was some interesting choices. Sitting Sergio after how well he and Ram played on, on Friday morning was interesting. But he was dealing with a, a bunch of sort of older guys who couldn't go all five, who... Games weren't up to the the spot where they'd been before, you know. And against that, that was partly his fault. Yeah, uh, yeah, that, that's pick, true. Pick of those old guys, well, and for not picking quality. enough Spaniards. Surely he could have found <laughs> like another eight Spaniards to put in the team. <laughs> that was, but uh, yeah, I think I think 
I, I think he would have been crucified had he not given those older guys one last go at it and he'd picked a team of rookies who may have got even more of a beatdown, maybe not in a score-wise, but on the golf course visually it may have been even worse. And so he, he, he had to give it a go and um, he he looked in, early in the week very impressive, but they just they just weren't up to the up to the challenge of the Americans. So I, I don't think you can put too much on Podrig, but I don't think he'll be taking uh, another spin at it in Rome. Put it that way. They won the opening ceremony comprehensively, Logan, and then it was all downhill from there. Was it? Didn't look like a great start to the. I wasn't watching it, but you and Jimmy were, and I was in the text thread, and it didn't sound like it was entertaining. Put it that way. Yeah, Stricker isn't a natural public speaker for sure. There was uh, a lot of contrived sort of statements, including his opening cheeseheads thing, which was just the most cringy, embarrassing thing I think I've ever seen. They were off to a terrible start. Uh, I, I felt like they'd lost a couple of points right there, but, um, you know, they came they came back. Two-point penalty. Pretty, pretty strongly. Uh, and uh, Patrick spoke very well. He's a surprisingly um, uh, coherent speaker and clear communicator, given what nutty stuff is going on in his mind, you'd, you'd assume. Well, as long as he doesn't uh, go off script, he's okay. He's quite eloquent, yeah. and, and, he, and he's, his diction is very good. But if you just if you take away the script, he can ramble a bit, can't he? Yeah, uh, but it was very, it was quite impressive. And uniform wise, the, the Europeans won the uniform battle there, I mm. think, as well. The All the important stuff. Right? Everything except for the golf. <laughs> They kind of won, didn't they? It was, the only, it was only the golf, which was kind of the whole point of being there. In the bigger picture, does the Ryder Cup tell us anything about the state of the game, like, or is it a, such a one-off event? Yeah, it's an interesting one because it, it does draw in non-golfers. And, the uh, it, yeah, look, at the, we talked about it last week, but that comparison between what the Ryder Cup was in the 70s and 80s it wasn't quite the circus that it was now. It it, it was more of a golfer's golf event mm-hmm. and uh, one for the purists. And now it's completely different and it's one for the masses. And there's always going to be that, that crowdy rowd, uh, rowdy crowd element from now on. Could edit that out, but I won't. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I think that is the direction of pro golf at least. Um you know, people see that that formula works and they're going to cr- try and recreate that in other professional events in some form. And it doesn't come down to the format of play or anything. It comes down to the style of how you market an event and present it and what sort of audience you're trying to attract. So, yeah, I, I think we expect more of that, at least in the United States. That's the sort does of that, does that then that's the pinnacle into, of golf spectacle, I think, as far as the United States is concerned. Does that seep into week to week professional golf? Here's something really interesting, Jimmy. My mate Richard Gillis, I think I can call him my mate now, runs the unofficial partner podcast, website, blog, etc. He wrote something really interesting about the Ryder. He wrote a great book about called The Captain Myth about the Ryder Cup five or six years ago, which was fantastic. Never mentioned that before. That's I think I mentioned it once or twice, but maybe you missed it. I'll, I'll find some of the episodes, I'll dig them up and I'll send okay. you the clips. Okay. So you can have a listen, but he's very good. But he wrote something interesting about, you know, talking about the Ryder Cup and exactly the point that Lowe's making, it's an event. And he said they pitched, and him and his partners pitched something to the International Cricket Council once. And he said, and one of the one of the people sitting there listening to the pitch physically recoiled when they mentioned or they showed a slide of people playing cricket. So what the hell's cricket? We don't want anything to do with cricket. It's got nothing to do with cricket. It's an event. It physically recoiled at the notion. There's an element of that to the Ryder Cup, isn't there? And I think week-to-week PGA Tour golf in particular, let's say the European Tour, though not that they're 
completely. But but the PGA Tour seems to be looking for this event notion where the golf's almost the unspoken product. The less you can say about the golf, the better, and the more you can pump it up as an event. That's how it feels to me. What do you reckon? Oh, absolutely. And particularly those team events. Yeah, it's... It's the experience, fan experience, I think mm. they would call it over there, and the golf's sort of superfluous to that. It's about the merchandise and the tents where you can go and have a beer and have something to eat and then wander down and watch some golf. Um, and, and I think you're right about the PGA Tour as well, particularly as they get more and more involved in the, in the sports betting in America that's mm-hmm. become available. Um, they want to attract purely sport fans who just want to bet on something and maybe go to it once when it's in their town and check it out, spend some money and whatever. And it becomes a a big time event. You know, it's like going to an NFL game where you may not have ever watched an NFL game before, but if it's in your city and you're there at the right time, you're going to go because it's a big time event. It's, it's something worth going to. And they try and turn the PGA tour into that perhaps. Um, the Ryder Cup, certainly. Um, that strikes as one of those things where particularly American fans just want to go to one of them and, and experience it and yell and scream at the Europeans and cheer for the for the Americans. Um, and I'm sure there was lots of those cases that we've all seen at golf tournaments of, you know, there would have been the guy standing along the side who says he's a diehard golf fan who says, look, there goes Xander Cantlay. And everyone just goes, oh, yeah, okay. Like, I'm sure that was that was a very regular theme of last week. So, it, it, it's definitely, it's a whole other beast to anything else, um, the Ryder Cup, and particularly in America, I think, where that big event appetite is, you know, unquenchable. So, they may as well turn it into that if they're going to, make more money out of it and get more eyeballs on it. But I doubt that you're going to turn them into regular golf fans. I was going to say, ultimately, it doesn't do anything for golf, does it? I suppose that's the disconnect golfers go, well, shouldn't the PGA Tour be promoting golf? It's like, well, PGA Tour is saying, well, no, we don't care about golf. Once again, you've got that same disconnect we've talked about before where the PGA Tour is not involved in the Ryder Cup. No, that's It's right. the PGA of America. So right. PGA of America doesn't feel the need to, pro- to promote the PGA Tour because what do they get out of it? So... The European tour, sure, but they're not involved so much when it's in America. When it's in Europe, they're just about making as much money as they sure. can from that week to prop up the business of the tour, effectively. Fact, so, without it, the European tour may have died many, many, many years ago. It yeah. <laughs> might have and, left us. And if you're, if you're looking for an example of it as an event, as, as what you're talking about, just look at the golf courses it goes to, and that, that tells you what it, what it is that, you know, Marco Simone Golf Club in Rome is not a historic venue where they're going back to the site of a previous Ryder Cup or Italian Open that was fantastic. Uh, they're, history they're has going to start somewhere, Jimmy. It might become the venue du jour after the uh, 2023 playing of the matches. From what I've heard, it won't. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> it, must, it must be said Whistling Straits was a fantastic Whistling, yeah. venue. Yeah. I think that's the best the best uh, Ryder Cup venue we've had for a long time. Um, the the other ones uh, do do a lot to add to the drama. Um, like there's some some holes and and the crowd element to it at Medina and at you know Hazeltine and stuff. But in terms of quality of golf course, I think Whistling Straits was a real star of last week, and they'll have a lot of a lot of people going to visit there to check it out because it is a it is a really good golf course. And you just got to look at the the PGAs they've had there. Um, VJ Singh won there and he was world number one not long after. Martin Keimer won there and he's been a world number one. And Jason Day won there and he's been a world number one. So good players win at good golf courses. And, and that's what it is. 
Strange. I found all of the PGAs there to be really flat for some reason, so I wasn't feeling very positive about it. Like particularly the Jason Day one, I thought that was just a slugfest. And it was a close it, finish. It was, though. Spieth chased him all the way to the line. I mean, it was a, it was a it was a compelling finish till about the sixteenth or seventeenth, if I recall. Didn't yeah, he, yeah. He, until he Spieth, Spieth put his bit. thumb up and the seventeenth gave him the thumbs up when he did a really good lag putt, didn't he? Yeah, uh, which I thought was quite a memorable thing and. and Typically classy sort of speed move. Is there but such a thing as a match play course? Is there a match play such a thing as a match play course? Don't ask Rory; he wouldn't know. Is there such a thing as a match play course, like? Uh, yeah, there literally is the OHP yeah. match play. Yeah. Course. <laughs> <laughs> I, I guess I asked literally for a that. match play course. I guess I asked for that, but do you know what I'm saying? So whistling <laughs> straight, you say there are three stroke play events: flattish match play with the Ryder Cup. Fantastic. Is there anything in that? The nature yeah, maybe. of the holes. Like it, it comes down to knowing what's at stake. And familiarity with the holes. I think the coverage somehow has something to do with it because you see the groups come through each hole. So you really learn the holes. Whereas the first two days coverage of a major championship mm. goes all around the course. So it's hard to get yourself situated in your head. Uh, but you kind of learn the format of Ryder Cup somehow helps you learn the course really quickly. Well, it's chronological, isn't it? The it's first group goes off one and you see them play one and then the second group goes off one and you see them play one while the first group's playing two. So you get you sort of walk right. backwards around the course. That's right, there's repetition where it's like ironing a shirt a little bit where, you know, the <laughs> the iron passes over the same crease a few times before you move on to the next bit, you know. So you kind of... <laughs> You get There's always real. something with you. That is, that, is a, that is a long no, boat. That's a strip you ask, If you asked a child to iron a shirt, would they draw a dog? And what does that <laughs> tell us about golf? <laughs> but yeah. I, I, anyway, I think, I think you're exactly right, that you actually get to exactly see the right. early holes. That you actually get to see the early holes and you become familiar with the yeah. golf course. Um, I, I think those PGAs may not have been as memorable because – I think the coverage of the PGA at that stage was very average that we got in Australia as well. So, you don't get that same excitement. there. And, you know, 2011's overshadowed by DJ grinding, grounding the club in the bunker. 2015's overshadowed by Dash Day's hair. So, you know, there's... <laughs> There's things that make you don't make you remember the golf tournament. That'll be a Twitter account by the end of today. Dash Day's hair. Do we have? Well, I don't know if he's still got it. No, no. He's, everyone in the world's complaining about the coverage and all the ads yeah. and things. Yeah. The Sky Sports apparently was atrocious. It's yeah. always terrible in the states. It was all right here, wasn't it? It was all right. It was good. We had really barely good. any yeah. ads. I don't Probably know. because Get we're Switzerland for VPN people, and we're Switzerland. We're, in, we're, in, we're a neutral country, so we don't have to put up with you know what either side is doing. We just sit on the sidelines and get the full coverage. So well, I think we very few ads. I don't know what's going on there. I think we benefit from the fact that that KO or Fox Sports has got it, then it's in the middle of footy finals. So all the money for their ads has been pumped into those and you've got the golf advertisers who want to run something, but they don't want to run constantly. So we get less ads and we just get unfiltered sort of feed from there. So I thought the coverage was really good. Imagine the KO ad salesman trying to pitch Ryder Cup ad selling in the middle of of AFL grand final week. Yeah, good luck with that, mate. And And- and Nico Coltsarts was, was magnificent. Brilliant. I what thought, an I, I love Lick- We generally to get the best commentary team yeah, too, don't we? Absolutely. With yeah. that world feed. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, Ali Whitaker was good. I thought those yep. two played off each other well. Thomas, Bo- Thomas Bjorn, I think, is a really good commentator if you can get past. He sometimes sounds a bit like Kermit the Frog trying to swallow <laughs> something. but <laughs> He does. <laughs> He's, uh, yeah, no, it was, uh, that was all. Yes, I don't think we can complain about the television experience down here. We, uh, we are very lucky. Um Bryson DeChambeau, we're going to talk to him about the long drive there. How do you feel he went? 
prior to the cup, not the Brooks Bryson thing, but just Bryson himself in that environment. I was always going to be interested to see. He was kind of he looked on the outer when he was in France. You know, just didn't seem like a team guy. Different Bryson this week, I thought. Did he do some repair to his image, and how long will it take him to undo it? Yeah, I, I think he did. I, I think he he did a lot for his image, but it was it it feels temporary. Um, it was another case of watching him closely and almost feel a little bad for him. Sorry, for he, he's clearly uncomfortable. He's socially in, awkward. There's no question. Yeah, about that. He, he's, he's clearly uncomfortable in that, and and I, I've seen a few people sort of say you, you must have some worries about his mental health with how much he gets bashed, but he brings some of it on himself. It's all that sort of stuff. But I think he did a lot for himself by clearly embracing the team atmosphere, even though he's he's such an individual. And he was still out hitting golf balls when it was getting dark, but he was doing that around what his sort of commitments with the team were. Um, I think a big uh, improvement to his image was just wearing the regulation team cap rather than having them make him his own special hat, which always looks ridiculous. So, um, But his play was good. He, he took advantage of the improvement in his game that he's made, which he doesn't do week to week on the PGA Tour. He used his power that he has created to change matches. Um, so I think he'll take a lot from that and he'll maybe go to PJ Tour events and maybe ramp it up further because it is such a distinct advantage when used well. And that par five where he hit it 417 and, you know, left a little flick wedge into it, that that's the advantage he has. And when it presents itself, he really needs to take it. And um, the stuff with Brooks in the press conference afterwards, I watched that. That was oh, contrived. contrived. That was nonsense, that, yeah. that did nothing for either one of them. Um, that was a bit embarrassing for everyone, to be honest. But, look, it, it, a lot of people will take that and say, oh, he's not as bad a guy. And, um, you know, I, I think he'll come out of this probably much better than he went in and certainly much better than Kepka in light of his week. Yeah, indeed. If Bryson does the DJ thing, Logue, and gets himself a track man and works just on his wedges for a year. <laughs> it could be because the, the the problem for Bryson's game is he hits the 417 yard tee shot, but he can't really take advantage of the 70 yards left because he's just not great from that distance, isn't he? So yeah, there's potential there. For, he's not bad from that distance. No, no, he's well, pretty, you don't play the PJ Tour if you're bad from that distance, but yeah. grading on a curve and comparatively. Uh, yeah, I, it's, I think it's more mental with him, honestly. Uh, the the times where he's blown a tournament were clear mental collapses, like mm. the back nine at Torrey Pines. And it was bad luck. Did you not read the great? That was just bad luck. <laughs> uh, I, I think he's got the skill set. Uh, but isn't that the problem? He works hard at all that stuff, but I don't think he works very hard at his mind. That, that's And he's yeah, a man he baby. He's, he's, a, he's got that same arrested development syndrome as Justin Thomas. They're both, both man babies, and they're surrounded by uh, this bubble that is never going to let them develop as a person. Um, but I've, you know, just as I consult my amateur psychology that's degree exactly on the right. wall there, but yeah, uh, <laughs> but that's uh, look. It must be hard growing up in that environment with that bubble around you and with that attention as well. I don't think I could cope with it. Uh, let's just get that out there straight away. It's um, uh, it, it would be uh, very difficult. It must must it requires an extraordinary human being, I think, to. Um, or, or some sort of weird personal contrivance in your mannerisms or like a Patrick Cantlay, like just sort of completely becoming a grey blank um, until you feel comfortable in your environment and then 
expressing yourself a little bit more. I guess they all have their own ways of coping with being in the spotlight. Um, But there's just not enough sort of breadth of experience or inputs from other people. I think they're going into Bryson DeChambeau's behaviour and and Justin Thomas's behaviour, just to call out those two. Head head buffoons. Yeah. I think it, I think it shows that we've already mentioned and singled out Rory and DJ for how they carried themselves all week. I mean, if if it's only two players from twenty four that we think were carrying themselves very well, you, you're exactly right that these are guys who grow up in a everything's about them sort of environment, and they continue to live it when they turn professional. And to be a professional golfer at that level, you have to have a certain level of selfishness because you have to put yourself forward. You've got to go and hit golf balls when you probably should be doing something with your friends and family. And um, you've got to be really internally driven. And it obviously, it shows itself in different ways. And in Bryson, it it shows itself in a way that's unpalatable to a lot of people. Um, and, I, and I think he surrounds himself with people who won't question him and who are his age or younger and who buy into it all because that's that's what people with millions of dollars who are still in their 20s might want to do. Um, if you're sitting in Bryson's bubble, what's to criticise? A bit like the PGA Tour. We criticise yeah. the PGA Tour. They sit in the office and go, what are you talking about? Yeah, Billion-dollar business. <laughs> Billion-dollar business and we're giving away plenty every week, so you know who cares what you think? And I, I can and, see that that would be very easy for that to be the case. So. And he stands up on the tee at the Ryder Cup and he gets huge cheers from some elements of the crowd and, you know, it, it's pretty simple to, to justify, I'm sure, for Bryson. And people consistently say, oh, look, I met the guy and he was he was great. Like, Or he came to my, our golf club and he did this and he was great. And, yeah, I'm sure he was. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that would be my experience him of him as well if I met him. <laughs> I was going to say Rod doesn't think so because well, I've no, really I, truly met him. <laughs> I met him and he wasn't. But here's the thing. We did. So we did an interview. And this is way back in 2015. He was still an amateur. He finished second at the Australian Masters here. And we'd lined up well in advance to do an interview with him for the website I worked for at the time, Golf Link, which is no longer with us or in a different format now. But for, he made us wait deliberately um, for no apparent reason. Well, he just hit some balls on the range. It was very impressive to watch. And he, he did his silly little sort of over-the-head trick with the club, which was a bit funny and everything. But he made us wait for 45 minutes for no real reason. But he seemed to think when we finally sort of spoke to him, that was some kind of joke that we should have got. This is what I mean about the socially awkward. It was just completely unnecessary and rude and disrespectful. But to him, in his mind, he'd made some kind of joke that we should have been happy to have been a part of. I remember thinking at the time that something about that's not quite <laughs> right. You know, that doesn't make a lot of sense. People will brush you as you journal, and that's fine. They do it all the time. Make you wait 45 minutes just because they can. There's an honesty about that. It was almost like not deceiving himself, Tishan, but genuinely thought he'd made some kind of joke that we should have been in on and sort of appreciate. Not that I'd made it clear that I wasn't happy about it, but it was just an odd interaction. He was a very odd sort of bloke. And I can, as soon as the camera went on, he came alive. He was Bryson's very much about Bryson. I think you've got to have that. You're right, Jimmy. You've got to have the ego. But it's different to being famous, isn't it, Like Because the scrutiny that comes with it is relentless. People who can be famous and just known for being who they are. But in golf, you've got this constant scrutiny of your game, your actions, your personality, and it's relentless. Even Rory said about being Tiger, I'd love his record, but I don't want his life. Mm. Yeah, you don't necessarily want it as a... When you, it's not the reason for getting into the game necessarily, is it? And mm. becoming a good golfer. Um, I wonder, actually. For some, it might be. Some might, might oh, be. Oh, for some, yeah. for sure, yeah. But, look, you know, like Minji Lee, you know, that's <laughs> she, she doesn't sort of 
she's not thirsty for fame. I don't think she just sort of enjoys playing golf and really does it well. Um, and, you know, I reckon there's probably been golfers in history who've just been afraid of winning because they might have to make a speech. Um, oh, fear of success is almost greater than fear of failure. Yeah. You know, that, that's the truth of it. <laughs> it's the fear of success that most that drives most people much harder than fear of failure because the reality of success is that you've then got to live up to it. It's this constant. This is why Tiger Woods was so amazing beyond just golf. He just kept doing it. He kept delivering in circumstances where it was like, how does he do that? How does he do that? And that 29-end Masters is just unfeasible. <laughs> yeah, most people just get their 18 months like Patrick Harrington said. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You, you get your 18 months and then- you make the most People of it. People keep an eye on you from for the rest of your career, and you might have a brief yeah. Martin Keimer like resurgence. But uh, you know, once your eighteen months is done, for most people, that that's it. And of course, it's- in golf, it's never sudden, isn't it? You never retire in golf. Nobody's ever announced a golf retirement. It just doesn't happen. Jack Nicklaus has never announced that he's retired. We all understand that he kind of is, but he still plays occasionally in sort of exhibition events and whatnot. So there's no moment where you can say, "Well, that career is over now." We can place it in the history books because it's kind of never really done. Golfers just slide, don't they? They just drift. So Harrington will be out on the Champions Tour later this year or next year, I'm sure. His career will just continue on. So Greg Norman's career clearly ended uh, on the 13th green at Augusta National when he did that stupid pointing thing. Oh, at, with uh, Olaf Arbel. Olaf Arbel. That was 99. the end of He survived 96, which was an extraordinary effort yeah. to be there in 99, and then he gave it all away with a thumbs up. Yeah, that's where his career lot. ended. Right yeah, there. it was very clear. That, it yeah. was basically called a press conference and said, "My career's ended." Pretty that's much. Yeah. Who, who wouldn't have predicted the tee shot on the next after that? No, nah, that was it. It was guaranteed he was going to miss it, and it was just enjoy your retirement, Greg. Yeah, that's that exactly. Well, he was doing radio coverage, was he not of the Ryder Cup? He's yeah, he was. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I didn't listen to that. I wanted to see mm, if he made any of himself. Sure. Well, did you try to get into the Ryder Cup app? You had to sign up for the newsletter and stuff. Yeah, to sign up for the just, newsletter to get the scoring. It was just crap on the website. The scoring was terrible. The, the, you couldn't see. I, actually, I, on the app was okay. I listened to some of the radio on the app. I don't think I heard Norman on there. Just uh, I'd listen to a bit of it. But you, you didn't have to sign up for the newsletter on the app. But, yeah, yeah, if you went to the website and you wanted to see what the score was in the Ryder Cup, you had to sign up for the newsletter. And on, on, on the final day, on the singles, the app on stage wasn't loading the score. I think it was overwhelmed. So I went to the website and you couldn't see it. Like, that's just – Who are they yeah. kidding? Where does the, 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 last thing, the last thing on Bryce, and I thought it was interesting afterwards in the press conference that uh, – his awkwardness came very clear when someone asked him a question and he said, why are you asking me? But it was interesting that Spieth Being almost saved. threw him under the bus and said, well, you haven't done media for a while. And <laughs> I think that that says to me, and I'm guessing, but the guys in that American team put up with him for the week because he is a good player, but he wasn't really bonded in with those players. It was Spieth saved him there. I don't think he threw him under the bus. I think that saved him. You gave wow. him a chance to laugh at himself and Yeah, that's, that's and the look, other way of looking at it. Yeah. You know, which is that, – that's how it felt sort of to me. I mean, space not a one to be malicious. Obviously, obviously, winning makes it easy as well, but that American yeah. team was far more bonded than any team with Tiger and Phil on it and Patrick Reed on it. Like, those guys clearly actually got along and and played golf as a team uh, as much as It was a real age thing there, isn't it? All of them have known each other for a very, very, very long time in golf yeah. circles, in elite golf circles, right from the time they're teenagers. There's, you know, I'm sure some of them don't particularly care for each other. There's no obvious... No, but of course, but... Uh, uh, but you're not walking into a into a team where you've got Tiger Woods sitting over there where you'd be, you know, I, 
I think every single golfer in the world would be scared if they were playing foursomes with Tiger Woods. Would you want to hit Tiger Woods a tee shot for Tiger Woods into the right rough? No, not, not after what he the look he gave Mickelson when Mickelson knocked exactly. it out of bounds when they played together. <laughs> You'd wither on the end of that, wouldn't you? You'd mm. have to be a big person. To well, Patrick Reed blamed him for losing their team. Uh, yeah, <sighs> shows some kahunas, doesn't it? I mean, <laughs> every other Ryder Cup team member to that point would have walked into the team room. The first thing you do is you go and worship at the feet of Tiger Woods, get that out of the way, and now we can get on with the week. No, not Patrick. It's still telling that Bryson can't. They can't field him in foursomes. There's no, and it's, I, I, I just it's beyond I just, just think it's going to work. It's beyond the mechanics of his game. I think uh, it's. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I can't see him coping with it. And how would you play foursomes with him? You know, he's going to be hitting it in places and and hitting shots where you're scratching your head constantly, saying, "Why would you do that? Yeah, that that just doesn't make any sense to my golf brain." And it would be constant tension. Yeah, there. I don't, th- I don't think you could get him thinking for the other player no. or 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 taking you know taking a club out of his hand to not have a go at something when he shouldn't because it benefits the team because mm. he knows he wants to see that shot. It was it was also interesting. They talked about in the press conference, and I could tell looking through the images each day, Phil Mickelson's only job as a vice captain that week was shadowing Bryson DeChambeau. Babysit Bryson DeChambeau. He was with him every moment, and the players were asked afterwards, what was it like to have Phil? And one of them said, oh, he was only with Bryson and Scotty all week. Like, that was just his job. Nice bit of criminology there, (laughs) Jimmy. I like that. It's... um, I wouldn't have thought Phil was the guy to send out to babysit someone, but hey. Oh, uh, well, DeChambeau and he, he and DeChambeau, I think, are cut from similar cloth. And yeah. I think there's a natural. Wasn't it the two of them that were chatting at the Masters practice room when DJ walked off after <laughs> nine? I said, if I keep know. playing with you, I'm not going to break 80. <laughs> 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 You're talking, talking all their, uh, their science nonsense. Of course, he went from there. He's gone from there to the long drive competition, Jimmy. What do you think about that? Is that a good idea for a PGA Tour player and a US Open champion to try and sort of start this weird second career in a sport that has has almost no profile except when Bryson decided to tee it up and now it's the most important thing in the world apparently? I don't know if it's a good idea, but it's an idea I'm interested in. I'm definitely fascinated. I'm definitely very interested. Yeah, of course I have. And after the first five or six minutes, what what about after that? I mean, I went I specifically went out and followed Jamie Sadlowski when he played the Australian Open in New South Wales so Open here. Golf. Yeah, but <laughs> if if he was if he was going down to a local driving range for a long drive, I would have gone and watched that too. Um, I've been to the, I've been to long drive here in Australia, which is not as big and, as the states, and it's it's interesting for about five or six minutes, and then it's like well, this is just the same. This is like watching car racing. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> same it, thing over and over. It it it, it okay. doesn't. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, I like. I'm a big F1. I enjoy the F1. I, we can we can get into. I forgot that, that you were a bit odd. Yeah. Okay. But it's um, look, it's not the most amazing product to watch, but I, I do find it remotely interesting. But I am very interested in how Bryson performs from a skill set point of view. Um, he's going up against guys who are bigger, faster, stronger. Uh, and this is all but, they do. They don't work on their chipping they at all. No, <laughs> but. But Bryson, I, to my mind, will have a greater ability to to focus in on where he's going to make a strike. He'll be better educated as to how he can optimise launch conditions for what he's trying to achieve. Um, so I, I think he'll be able to get more out of his golf swing in terms of long drive than maybe the others will. 
And I think it's fascinating. That, having played the US Open and won it, played the Masters and just played the Ryder Cup, there's got to be something in that of value. He's not going to feel the pressure in the same way you wouldn't imagine as the others. I, I think he walks into every golf event, whether it's long drive, US Open or playing with his mates at, at his local golf club, thinking he's the best player there. So I think he's going to have that sort of attitude and that should serve him well. Look, I don't think he's going to be winning them unless he really commits to it. Um, but he might be competitive. Finished uh, second as, in his at, group of 16 with a 412-yard yeah, okay. drive, so he's advanced to the next yeah, stage. That's the latest. He just, uh, Is it covered, covered anywhere? I really yeah, watch there's it. a live stream. So you go to the World Pro Long Drivers, try to look them up on Twitter. They don't have a Twitter handle, so they're not doing any updates. You go to their site, they've got a live stream, but there's no leaderboard, nothing to tell you what's going on. You either watch the live stream or you piece together what you can from people who are tweeting about it who are watching the live streams. So that's pretty poor on their part. Yeah, well, yeah, it drive. feels like it was a big opportunity for them to capitalise. Well, they're definitely – well, look, it's made a lot of noise. There's an awful lot of interest in it on Twitter um, because he's there, obviously. I wonder how the other competitors feel about it. You'd have mixed feelings. You? Lots of eyeballs being brought, but these guys have been plugging away at this for Lord knows how long and no one's ever taken any notice of them before. So, well, the, the good thing about long drive is that it's extremely objective uh, – you know, that's, mm, which is why simple. I feel like it would make a great Olympic sport <laughs> is because, mm. you know, it's it's like that bloke clearly beat the other bloke. You know, mm. there's it, there's a tape measure no bad involved. Breaks, there's no bad bounces. There's no luck. Yeah. So here's the, oh, the bounces are a big factor. Like you've got to yeah. aim for certain parts of the grid where there's more run, which is where Bryson, I think, might be able to uh, take advantage of some things there because they really do spray it like they – they give, oh yeah, they hit it. We all have to. Planet. They like, give everything to the power, and then they just playing their odds of like getting one in the grid. They, they're absolute animals, aren't they? Like the way they they go at the ball. Um, but the other thing for him, I think that it, he's going up against guys using equipment that is purely long drive driven. Mm. Now Cobra will have made him some stuff, but they're not a long drive company. Um, yeah, you've got to have a driver that's got a really deep face. It's got about four or five degrees of loft. Mm. It's about 48 inches, you know. Only lasts about 20 hits or something. Yeah, it? that's right. They crack and he's 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 not got that advantage there. So that's going to set him back a little bit again against the guys who just do this. I'm but, sure he yeah. would have gotten he would have put a lot of time into getting the equipment right you'd have thought yeah but uh, like for example from my knowledge there's brands that just do long drive um and then callaway got big into long drive equipment at one stage because they had joe miller i think it is who was the world champion and so they got into building specific long drive heads to my knowledge cobra doesn't make them for any of the other guys and you it's might a different just, uh, rebadge Ooh. rebadge one of those other ones oh i doubt yeah, that never know much so, but I, I, you know, anyway, I want to see it because he's somehow you take his personality like long drive is to golf, I guess, like what WWE is to boxing or something like that. Like you take Bryson's personality and you put him in a long drive arena and suddenly it all makes sense. It's, it's just perfect. Mm. He's Hulk Hogan. Yeah. He's, That's actually, it's, you're 100% I think it strikes actually, as yeah. it's very much is like it, weightlifting, like it's getting up. Yeah on your own but competing against the other guys not at the same time and trying to show you're the strongest and then yell and scream about it's it. It's all so. testosterone and bravado yeah. and, uh, you know, contrived celebrations. and <laughs> It's like he's Hulk Hogan, so he can come out and, and do that and it all makes sense and it's very entertaining, whereas it just looks like a buffoon when he does that at a golf tournament. <laughs> so, <laughs> the, it's, 
yeah, the Bay I, Hill Drive with the big, you know, the big victory signs. Yeah, no, it's not my kind of thing. I don't know. They're just to me, there's not enough to sustain interest. Watching blokes hit golf balls a long way just very quickly becomes uninteresting. That, it's that's a, to me. It's still a match-up sort of aspect to it. Yeah. Like, can yeah. this person beat that person in this mostly objective uh, skill test? Mm. You know, I think that's that's an interesting. So thing. You blokes both like other sports, though. You see, I don't. I, I, and I don't think there's anyone interest me. I don't think there's anyone listening to this who's surprised that you are not interested in long drive rod. I'm not <laughs> anti it. It's fine, but I just I, like I've it. watched it and it just didn't grab me. It, it's a very short term. It's like fast food. You eat it, it tastes good, and then an hour later you're hungry again. So, well, that wasn't particularly satisfying. So the thing anyway, I've so always through. wondered when I watched long drive is what would a good golfer do? And they've yeah. had good professional golfers in long drive before. People who have good swings and. Uh, sort of controlling the ball a little bit better, and they've they've been good, but you know they've never they've never been this standard of golfer. Didn't one of the LPGA players win a long drive a couple of years ago? Not Austin Ernst, who was it? Um, uh, yes, um, uh, girl from Kentucky, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, the one from uh, the she contended in the KPMG a couple of years ago. I can't. Yeah, mm. anyway, uh, the um, yeah. Anyway, uh, Bryson is going to be interesting because he's a genuinely good golfer and he can hit it straight and he's got, in his own way, he's got a good golf swing. <laughs> it's it's going to be an interesting... It's the experiment I've always wanted whenever I've watched long drive is what would a really genuinely good golfer do here? Yeah. Yeah. I think that to see how he stacks up is going to be really interesting because you've seen people like Sedlowski go the other way out of long drive into trying to play tournament mm. golf, but you haven't seen, in, unless it's someone who's past their prime. And and I think that's the fascinating element. It may be very much to the detriment of Bryson's chances of winning PGA Tour events and majors, but, hey, for our entertainment level, I think it's it's an improvement. So, Emily Tubert. She won the 2018 Tennessee long drive competition. Emily Tubert. That's not who I was thinking of. Yeah. I don't think it's who I was thinking of either, but it's anyone that's come up on Google, and you know that Google knows everything. If there was another one, they would have showed us. It must be. Yeah, it's the book of truth. Um, anyway, so he's through when... Uh, be interesting to see. Uh, what else in non-Rider Cup news? Here's something interesting, Logue. I've been doing the production for the Inside the Ropes podcast, as you know, for the last couple of weeks for Golf Australia while they're moving between buildings and studios and whatnot. Interesting discussion yesterday. Somebody wrote to them, and and this is I know this is a pet a pet of yours, saying, why do we call it the Australian Open and the Women's Australian Open? It shouldn't it be the Men's Australian Open and the Women's Australian Open. What do you reckon? Uh, well, I haven't listened, so I'm not sure what their response was, but I know internally... Um, Golf Australia mostly, pretty consistently, or call it the Men's Australian Open and the Women's Australian Open. Um, and uh, I've always thought that's that's been uh, quite a admirable way to approach that. And in almost every conversation um, I have internally, like we're all involved in some to some extent in both those events. And uh, it's always the Men's and Women's Australian Open or the Opens. Um, and uh, very rarely do I... Do I see that? Like that, those speech patterns are important, and I think they um, Australia, well, Golf Australia, at least internally, do do that very well. Um, yeah, externally, uh, it's uh, difficult. It'll be somewhat controversial. You know that you're going to get a, a bunch of people. Oh, what do we have to do? You've you've worn this before, like when you talked about it at the the Olympics with the men's and the women's. Oh well, it's the US Amateur because as far as I'm concerned, they don't stop the women from playing. You get a lot of that sort of stuff. Uh, yeah, that that, that I don't buy that argument at all. Um, I, I think that's absolute nonsense. Um, 
like just, you can't it, that you can't look at a rule like that, a fairly obscure rule, very rarely invoked rule, and use that to justify mm. this uh, this language. Like it doesn't it doesn't justify the language. Um, it's it's pointing at a technicality to to let yourself uh, continue to um, marginalise a group of people, and that it just doesn't. I, I just don't accept that. Jimmy, you're our youth correspondent. What do the young people think about this? Or do they even think about it? Are we just a generation away from it just being normal to call things the men's and women's open? Are cricket's having this issue? AFL's having this issue? Yeah. yeah I was going to say AFL with the AFLW and people saying, well, then it should be AFLM. You know, it's. Um, I think it will move towards that and it will just become accepted that that's what they are. It's the people who are hanging on from the previous generation who will make all sorts of noise and think it's ridiculous, but it'll just, it'll go that way. Eventually um, we'll die. What's, yeah. the, what's the point? What's the wrong with calling them both AFL as well or both? Yeah. The I, I think that's the, I think that's both the discussion to have is whether or not you just call them both Australian open or whether yeah. you call them men's and women's Australian open. I think that's the, the only discussion here. It's not whether it should stay as the Australian open just for the men and women's Australian open. And um, where context is required, you, you, you gender market where yeah, I think where context I think is needed, but otherwise just call them both Australian Opens. Yeah. I think confusion is maybe where you you don't call them both Australian Open when they're not held concurrently like they do in tennis. Like you can call it the Australian Open mm -hmm. tennis because it's held the same week and there's a men's and women's champion. That's different. There's a nuance to that. Um, when you've got the men's Australian Open golf held in December, say, and the women's in February, you need to you know, give them some point of difference to make sure. So, um, look, I, I think it's just a case of they just start doing it one day and everyone will start just fall into line with it. You know, there's no there's no reason it shouldn't be, to my mind. You know, that rule, I, I'm fully on board with, with Logue about that rule about it that everyone can play is just that's just a garbage reason to keep something like that in place. So, um, and, and Golf Australia have shown a willingness to move forward in this sort of area very well. So, um, yeah, it'd be great to see them start, you know, explicitly referring to it as the men's and women's Australian Open and it just becomes commonplace. But it is really noticeable, you know, for example, this week uh, we've got the US mid-amateur and the US women's mid-amateur mm. going on and, and we're doing reporting on it on the website every day. It, it, it really stands out to me each time I'm doing it that, the difference in the names now most people probably don't even notice and don't care but there's obviously some of us who do so um it it would be good to see the usga send out stuff about the u.s men's mid-amateur and the u.s women's mid-amateur it just it just makes sense on the australian opens it'd just be nice to have an australian open <laughs> that would also <laughs> be nice yeah. something to actually talk about would be uh i i, I don't think we're going to see it early next year i don't think I don't think there's any chance. It's I, I don't like think it's we're too see. soon, doesn't it? Yeah. What a it's too, well, be it's, positive there's too about. much uncertainty. Yeah. You could stage an Australian Open, but you're essentially saying it'll be an all-local field. Now, that might not necessarily be a bad idea. No, <laughs> like, no I don't, don't mind that at all. I started thinking about this again yesterday as well. What could we do to sell your idea of making the Australian Open different? The, 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 the point being, Jimmy, we keep competing in this market where it's the size of the person, the appearance fees, which are dictating the field you get. We need to accept that we can't compete in that market and never will be able to. We never have the sorts of money. So what are the points of difference that can set us apart? So the first thing that springs to my mind, Logue, we waste our greatest 
potential asset, and that's golf courses. We don't play the Australian Open at Royal Melbourne and Kingston Heath every year. If we did, that's the first step. You can almost or Royal hear Adelaide, like take it to now. another state. You know, <clears throat> for the purpose of international, I think Rory is the is what sort of dictates here what works. He was considering playing in the Australian Open this year because we're going to be at Kingston Heath. Kingston Heath. That's the only reason. You know, you're still going to have to pay him, <laughs> but he might do it for a bit less. But it, you've got to sell what your market wants to buy. And in terms of the players, the players aren't anti-playing at the Australian, but they're far more inclined to give thought to teeing up in the Australian Open if it's at Royal Melbourne or Kingston Heath because they've heard of it. Every time those courses turn up on the TV screen in America, the crowds go nuts for it. They love the golf. So I think we waste our biggest asset there. And I know the response is going to be straight up, well, the sponsors want it in Sydney. The state governments are the, the state sponsors. government's paying for it and all that sort of You're stuff. You're turning away that, that money, Rod. Well, yes, you are, but in the longer term, it's not Golf Australia's job to do what's best for – it's a tricky relationship, but best for the New South Wales state government or necessarily even for the sponsor. It's to do what's best for golf in the longer term. And it's coming home to roost. You know, this 2020s decade could well be the one where the Australian Open slides almost completely into obscurity if we're not careful. That is possible. And if that's an outcome that you're comfortable with in 2021 looking ahead and saying, well, that's what might happen, but we're going to continue to pursue this, I'm not on board with that. Well, I think think this thing of being beholden to the state governments and the sponsors, look at where it's got us. Each year, they struggle to get a title sponsor for the Men's Australian Open. Mm -hmm. So, giving, giving away the cow and the milk to these sponsors is clearly not working. And the players still aren't coming. You know, we're still having to pay overs to get our own players here. Like, I know for a fact, having spoken to him about it, Adam Scott loves the Australian because it is a great tournament venue. You know, it's got every element that a tournament venue needs. So, there's no problem going there every couple of years. It's had the most Australian Opens. It's got some history. It's right there in the name, Jimmy. That's right. <laughs> and it was, the, fa- it was the, the foundation of my golf game, so it's historic in Australia. But but- it hasn't all been beer and Skittles then, has it? <laughs> <laughs> Not all success stories. <laughs> but, uh, but you're exactly right. Take it to golf courses and don't worry about that, that sponsor who wants it in Sydney. Find a sponsor who's willing to give as much as you can for those that, venues. That's the hard part. Such well, a hard sell. Royal all Mel- of it's such a hard sell to a board. Like, well, it's Royal, not- if you had, if you had a, a couple of year run of, of Royal Melbourne, Royal Adelaide, Karen Up, you know, that sort of stuff, you're going to get players coming to see and, and play. And, and I think part of the issue is we've just got to get them here. And we know they'll have fun. The tournament is a fun week. No, like, we all enjoy Australian Open it's Week. It's an important week. And, and Australia is a good country when they come here. So, when they get taken out to the beach, they like it. They'll come back. But um, I think you're exactly right, Rod. We're on the edge of the Australian Open disappearing into real obscurity in terms of world golf. And something needs to be done about it. And the method we've been going with so far isn't working. Um, it's going to be harder and harder moving forward to get players here just because of money. Uh, so we need to come up with something else and and pretty fast, I'd suggest. So Women's Australian Open is working well. I mean, it's landed in a good city. Yeah. It's landed yeah. in a yeah. good yeah. golf city. So it does have that right. which helps. Yeah, that element. And the LPGA co-sanctioning has helped. Oh, uh, I don't think PJ Tour co-sanctioning would help at all with the no. Well, it's fanciful, and and it's just never going to happen. It, the people who beat their drum about and it wouldn't be good. We need either. to make it a. Well, you 
to be a, an overseas PGA Tour event, I believe the minimum prize purse is eight million US dollars. What's that about? We can't get two million. million Aussie. Yeah, that's right. So forget. give up. Just forget about it and and start thinking of other ways. And, to and make who it a wants event. it? You don't want. Gonna, well, it doesn't bring you Rory and Jordan and either. You get a second rate field. Just look at yeah, the and field. it doesn't. Like we don't want the Fortinet Championship, like being transported. Well, okay, so over this, you've tapped into. Well, look at look at the. Sorry, Look at the Zozo Championship made announcements yesterday and it was big names joined Zozo Championship in Japan. Now, Hideki Matsuyama is the biggest name in Japanese golf. That's great. Xander Schofle, Colin Morikawa, Tommy Fleetwood and Ricky Fowler were listed as big names going to a PGA Tour event. Colin Morikawa, sure, he's won yeah, two majors. Xander, gold medalist. Gold medalist yep. Yeah. Tommy Fleetwood and Ricky Fowler needed sponsors' exemptions to get into the field because they weren't in the top 125 on the FedEx Cup last year. Is there not a hair category for that? Like, they're not they're – not, <laughs> Ricky, Ricky did a great job when he last came here and everyone loved him. He's fabulous. He's terrific. He's not, he's not going to bring people through the gates. I, I had a discussion with some people from Tourism WA at the old World Super 6 Perth who were younger people not involved in golf about – what they could do with that event to to bring eyeballs to it and whatever. And at the time I said, look, it's 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 Tiger or nothing if you're thinking purely from a player point of view. I said, Rory's great, but probably still doesn't it's golf. ticket enough right. with, you know, it's so you've got to come up with something else. And the ideas seem to be lacking at least internally for the Aussie Open. And it, it's not, I mean, the thing with that is it's not so much, it's a very hard thing to run a tournament. And of course, they outsource the running of the tournament. Yep. Um, yep. But there's commercial rights that have sold to a, a business that runs golf tournaments. And what do you expect to get out of that? You're going to get a pretty cookie cutter format of tournament. And that's, and I guess that comes down to what we're talking about. Like, you're never going to convince that commercial rights partner to do any of these ideas we're talking about. So yep. you've you got to take that back right away. And and, and to be fair to, to GA, I suppose, and I'm sure it's not implied in the agreement, but the same organisation runs the Fortinet Championship and manages to get John Rahm and Phil Mickelson to show up who are on their books, but they run the Australian Open and neither one of them has ever played the Australian Open. So, you know, there's... You have to put a, a lot of it falls outside GA's responsibility. Of yeah, it's their tournament, but you, they outsource that. Um, it's it's it's. There's no obvious answer that's going to work. So loosely, I think we agree. The first thing you got to say is okay. This is not something we're going to make a return on next week or next year. We have to set up something that we're going to try and get a return on in the next decade. So if you were to do that, the first thing you look at is what have we got to offer, and then the courses spring to mind. Let's start with playing predominantly Melbourne in, the, let's say, the first six years. And don't say we can't because we've had it in Australia. How long have we been in Sydney for now? 15 years? 15, yeah. 14 straight years in Sydney? 2007, I think that agreement was signed. So we can do that in Melbourne, and that's a huge start. You might go between Melbourne and Adelaide, but you've got to have the courses to get the players interested. Then you get those who've won the thing in the past to help you promote it. Jack Nicholas would happily Nicholas. sit down and yeah. say, my six Australian Opens are among, you know, my most cherished memories. And he would actually mean it. Would you get Gary Player to get you started? You get Gary Player to do the same. You get Greg Norman to do the same. There are some amazing names <laughs> on that trophy. Use them. I think a photo of Gary holding up the Stonehaven Cup full of encore golf balls. <laughs> There'd have to be a time with we'll Gary Player's little piece on that. Possibly. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying there. Then yeah. target players that aren't that top tier, but they're the next tier down, but interesting. So people who campaign for co-sanctioning, what you get with co-sanctioning is those players that are a tier down who aren't interesting. 
You get the Czech yes. Open and the Portugal Open. Yeah. Yeah. And lovely bloke, but you get Eduardo Molinari. What you really do, you target, let's go back four years and you talk to the likes of John Huggan and Clates and people overseas who know and say, right, this kid Bob McIntyre is a couple, yeah, away, exactly. couple of years away from being something. Yeah. This kid Eddie Pepperell, he's a couple of years away from being something. Invite them. Zach Blair, you could, he came here and played at the Australian. <laughs> if you invite Zach Blair to play at Royal Melbourne, he's going to bring you an awful lot of publicity for Australian golf. Once you've done that, not to say that those guys will then forever want to come and play, but you've built a relationship with someone who might go on. Bob McIntyre might go on to be a major winner, and Australian golf has no relationship with him. If you've already established that early on, then you've got a chance. That might pay dividends in eight, nine, ten years. Now, it might not with him, but it might with somebody else. Plus, it's it. giving them an incredible experience. Like, I, I agree. It's, I think it's getting those, the, when they're early and impressionable, let them imprint yeah. on you. Um, right. and, but it's also giving them an amazing experience. And again, you just don't get that from a cookie-cutter approach to oh. a tournament. You've got to, like, twist. You've got to put a twist and make everything different and special in some way. Don't just outsource the catering to the people who do big events in whatever city you're in. You don't outsource, uh, you know, the driving of to the tournament of whoever does the driving whenever there's a big event and shuttling people around. Like, you just you make everything special and you, you get some quirky things in there. It's obviously an important ingredient of a tournament to have some interesting thing that you can get in a locker room that you can't get anywhere else, like a milkshake at the memorial or <laughs> I don't know. There's Well, I think... I think so. It, it's it's Ogilvy's approach. Ogilvy said it a million times that turn it into the best golf tournament in the world, yeah. and you do that with experience, with treating the players the best you can, with the best food, Some, with something different something else that they're not going to get yeah. anywhere else. And they they can see, oh, look, this isn't just like some catered thing that they've brought in. Like this is some something special's going on here. <laughs> like, and it's an experience they're going to talk about and remember and come back and experience again. I, th I think one of the great examples of how far off we are of that concept is that Jeff Ogilvie himself was denied entry to the car park at the Australian a couple of years ago by a security guard who had no idea who he was. The guy has won the event mm. and he doesn't get let into the car park. Now, what? we've done such a poor job of promoting the tournament that this guy is working at that he doesn't know that when Jeff Ogilvie drives up and says, I'm here to pick up my credential, you let him through. Number one, because an angry Jeff Ogilvie is not, <laughs> not Jeff Ogilvie right, not that in anybody's you want to be on the end of. But, but that, that, that concept of it being a player experience, I think, is, is so crucial to the success of making it special, playing at great golf courses. That, that's what the Masters is built that's on. That's right. Of course it is. And, and that you know, filters that, and out to they the fan that experience idea. as well, or you know, yeah. the patron experience. And, you don't and get the standard catering for you know, the tented yeah. village. You get something really special there. Like, it's, you know, don't, don't you know, challenge the idea of having a tented village. Like, um, you know, just different ideas for everything and... Uh, like just putting on a, putting on an event where you can show up and walk around behind the ropes and buy a Villy's pie is not the great fan experience that people think it is. Ooh, Nothing I, against Villy's uh, pie. Thinking of course. about yeah, that's. But yeah, you know, I, I talk, talk to I, me more about Villy's pie. <laughs> What's the pie? Well, I've seen you eat a Villy's pie with barbecue sauce on it, so I don't think you can speak about <laughs> it. Was that. It was an experiment. Fork as well. Oh, yeah. a knife and fork job as well. I think that might have been. You, fun you, that, you, the look on Brendan James's face when you did that. <laughs> the, the number of but a, a man who is without peer when it comes to pie. <laughs> 
And you brought shame to the House of Golf Australia. He is to pies what Logue is to paths. The number of pies, <laughs> the number of pies that get consumed in a week like that. You look for a little bit of variation from time to time. It's no, no, no you, don't. you don't. That's like putting, it's like putting a mustache on the Mona Lisa. Sure, it's different, but you really haven't improved it in any way, shape, or form, Logue. Dear but dear. yeah, coming back, I think I think you have to make it different for the fans as well. Make the merchandise amazing so people want to buy it. You know, make there's there's different elements to it. There's so many things you could try. You won't get it right straight away, but that, that's so right about the merchandise, Jimmy. Like the shirts that you buy at the Australian Open, they're obviously just those no name shirts that they've they've tweaked a few details and stuck a logo on. Like, and they put the date on them. Yeah, yeah, like, yes. you've got to chuck it out because otherwise you look bad. Yeah, exactly. Stop yeah. Doing and that. and and it's it's the little things. I mean, if we're talking player experience and. I don't want to speak poorly of the brand that was used, but a couple of years ago at the Lakes, the, the range balls were switched over to a brand that not a sing- that one single player in the field used, and they were so different to the golf balls that the players used. Wasn't, a number bu- of them wasn't playing that week. Was no, but a number of them drove to other golf courses to hit their own golf balls right. to prepare for the week. That doesn't make any player think to themselves, I want to come back. I'd heard a story of- You're turning away, there's money on the table there. Turning away the money, that's right. And that's true. Well, one of the Americans that was being paid that week to come out here walked over to get the golf balls and said, what is that? (laughs) So, you've got to to gauge how much that money is and whether it's worth it. Here's the other thing, the stupidity of that, of course, is you've done nothing to elevate the golf ball itself. I suppose the idea was to make the golf ball look more impressive. It's it's failed that miserably. It does does harm to the brand. It's damaged that brand and they've paid paid money for the – so somebody came back into the office that day, Logan, and said, you're not going to believe I've signed this fabulous deal with a golf ball company to supply the balls at the drive range. And somebody at the tournament office said, that's a great idea, as opposed to, are you joking? <laughs> Which is what the reaction should have been. Same as the A and A when they had that stupid wall behind the green. Yeah, exactly. The, nobody at the LPGA tournament office went. That's not a good idea. Nobody, yeah. and that, that's what's lacking at that tournament. It was a load bearing wall, wasn't it, Rod? The engineers, <laughs> the engineers needed it there. So. It's like Gillis's- it was a floaty holding the water, the green out of the water. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> It's like Gillis's pitch where, you know, showing showing cricket horrified the person organising the cricket event. There's a complete lack of knowledge of what it is that the players, the fans or anybody else involved might want. And you can't just ignore that in that way and expect to be successful. And I think a bit of that comes back to Golf Australia do run other golf tournaments, but for professional men and professional women, they won't run one tournament for each group a year. So there's a disconnect there with what the players expect and what the players want and and hopefully the, the further amalgamation with the PGA might get a better understanding of it. but Because um, you don't want the players golf- to run the asylum either. That would be, no, that's just true. Say golf- you just do everything the players Absolutely. want. You don't want to do that either. Absolutely. Golf professionals are very specific about what they like and what they don't like. Now, you get Homer but- Simpson's car if you put you know, that's the- <laughs> yeah. That's exactly yeah. what you get. But- but you've got you've got this. <laughs> I forgot. No, I'm gonna have to put that in the show notes. Yeah, <laughs> you've got um, you've got you've got resources to go to players like Ogilvy, and mm. you know, I, I I think one of the guys that I always think of, someone should get on the phone to Scott Hend and say yes. you've played more tournaments in more countries around the world than anyone else. What would make a good Australian Open? 
And Hindi's going to partially say, oh, money is going to be it. But he could give you great feedback on what he's seen at tournaments that's worked, what hasn't, what players to bring out. Like, he's got his finger on the pulse and use the the advantage you have of those experienced Australian players. I mean, they are using Jeff Moore, I believe, which is very good to hear. But use Adam, use, use Cam, use Mark, use these guys and say, what is it about the best events that make you want to play them? And... And elevate those guys' status as well to to make them feel a bit more of an obligation to be involved because they've helped shape what the tournament is. Yeah. Don't make it just about money. No, like it, it doesn't. We work. cannot we cannot compete no. when it comes to just money. And if we keep trying, we're we're just putting ourselves up for failure. No, it still keeps keeps coming back to them not having the 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 rights to the show. tournament themselves and make all of no, these decisions. Uh, you, you get little ch- bits of change, like, but it'll be like some chintzy cafe putting a watercress garnish on their crappy you know, bacon and eggs or something. Like it's, yep. it's not, yep. it's not, it'll just be fiddling around the edges and pointing at it and going, Oh, look at, look at us. We're different, but it's not at all. It, it, it's, it's getting the same coffee you've got from a cafe every year, but they started putting a little cookie on top yeah. of the takeaway cup so that <laughs> exactly. you come back. Look, I wouldn't be anti that. That's not a bad, but if I can say- What sort of cookie talk- are we talking about, Jimmy? Well, that's, that's, uh, Rod, to be fair, Australian Open Week is your favourite week for coffee and cake. So, it I'd is. probably use the wrong analogy as well. And- right. yeah. The President's Cup actually wins in the cake department because they used to bring them in every day. On Scott Hand, the first thing you do is make sure Scott Hand's at the tournament because Scott Hand will come into the press tent on Tuesday and say something controversial and fun, and that'll be interesting. Guys like Greg Chalmers, Cameron Percy, Matt Jones, we just these guys on the US Tour, you've got a date problem straight away. We miss out on them coming and playing the Australian Open as often as they can, and they all have something to contribute. They're plenty good enough to, con- you know, to contend in the event, but they're also great ambassadors for the game. They'll all be good speakers in the press. All those little things go into making a whole. Now, at the start of Australian Open Week, we're the media. What are we looking for? Stories. And what's often lacking? What you get is 10 minutes of access to Jordan or Rory because they've been paid a lot of money to be here and it's a part of their deal. Do they want to? Well, those guys in particular are pretty good, but not always do the players want to. And what do you get out of them? You get what everybody else gets. There's no opportunity. Now, as journos, you want to go sniffing around the range and find a Greg Charles. He'll have something to tell you. Find a Scott Hand. Find a Matt Jones. I I, I think... If I think back to tournaments in recent years that I've covered and I've done most of the big events in the Australian summer each year, the PGA was generally a better week for myself because there was less of the full-time golf journos there. So, I would get the players to myself. So, Sergio doing a press conference, I basically had a one-on-one with him when he just moved to a Callaway golf ball and golf clubs and he was engaging about it. Um, Adam, I've managed to get time one-on-one because established you know, that I'm there each week. That was that was more but for pre- you, though, than, you know, the magazine. You never wrote yeah, anything we'll about t- that. You just hung out with him yeah. for a bit. No, we were just great. talking yeah, about yeah. long putters sure. and I was trying to work out what to <laughs> cut mine to. But, um, it, it, but outside of those guys, Stuart Sink has been one of the best pressers yeah. we've had in Australian golf because he was genuinely engaged, he was interesting, and he told stories he hadn't told before. But further to your point, uh, the last Australian Open in 2019, Smiley Kaufman, I wrote a story about where I hung around the chipping green. I had no idea he was there until I saw him and I hung around, waited for him. He made some great comments to me about his struggles with the game. That was our probably our best 
received story of the week because but when you pay most of the guys to come out they're good they do their bit when they do their press conference but they don't say anything bizarre they get asked some pretty bad questions too to be fair um which they used but to if, be, sadly yeah <laughs> but you get you get you get more out of Greg Chalmers, you know. Absolutely. Greg is a great interview, like a genuinely great interview. Uh, Scott Hend is a great interview. So, trying to trying to find those people that are going to create a bit of noise, not necessarily with their golf, but with what they might say. Um, you know, it would be great to have someone come out and play the Australian Open who was given a press conference and didn't come in and just say it's the great, it's a great week. I'm really enjoying it. Who came in and gave their genuine opinion on yeah. the golf course, on the tournament, what needs to change? This golf course that'll is make nice. more headlines. Why aren't we at Royal Melbourne? Yeah, that'll <laughs> make more headlines than anything yeah, else. Absolutely. Um, that look, a lot of them aren't in the business of doing that, no. but. Yeah, there is some of them that are, and, and there is better people for it. Weren't so. there issues a couple of years ago when Jordan played, and he went down to Melbourne for a week beforehand, and there was a bunch of photos turned up on social media of him playing golf courses in Melbourne, and that was an issue because his contract with the State Government of New South Wales, the appearance for he got was that he wasn't to be promoting courses in other regions. Well, he was playing the, at the same time that the Aussie Masters was being played down there. That's right. I believe. So he, his contract meant that he couldn't play the Australian Masters, but he wanted to go and play Sandbelt golf That's courses. Exactly right. So he was down there and playing. Did. Carried next his door. own bag, walked around. I think he, yeah. he had a couple of beers with a few people who played with him yeah. while he played, and really endeared himself. And of course, because of these silly contractual arrangements, all of that. If you're a real golf nerd, you know that. But look at all the publicity that Australian golf missed out on because the Masters and the Open and the Vic government and the New South Wales government. You know they've got to have this adversarial kind of relationship. It's just madness, madness. And it's GA's issue to work those things out and stop those things from happening. Yeah, and, 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 and they'll tell you that there's no, no such thing as contract clauses about not being able to play the Australian PGA after the Australian Open, et cetera, et cetera. But there's clearly something at play because guys like playing here and like staying here. So why wouldn't they, you know, stay for another week and play another event or, or whatever? But, um, yeah, we, we do miss out on a lot of the opportunities of using what's going on. I mean... Adam Scott loves going to King Island, playing golf. He loves Barn Boogle. Been down there with Julian Wilson the, Wilson, the surfer. So why don't we use that to promote golf ourselves, you know? Ask Adam to take some photos down there and bang. Because he's not averse to it. Not uncommon to see a photo somewhere on social media of him standing somewhere at Barn Boogle with someone. Hey, look where we met on the course. He doesn't do his own Absol- stuff. But, you know. Absolutely. I mean, I think I think so many people within within the organisations running golf tournaments here are afraid to ask more of Adam and more of those guys because they feel like they're doing them a favour already. He does do his own Adam's stuff not- as well, doesn't he? Like, he, you know, when he was stuck here last doing year. Doing the Instagram stuff, yeah. playing with the young kids. And- yeah, when absolutely. Our, you know, started we played Mulaney and played Mulaney. With, yeah. That was some really good content there. And, and he's one of the more engaging guys in the top level of professional yeah. golf. So give him a chance to do that and, um, you know... I think I think it's just asking and not being afraid of the player to say no as well. Having some what, sort of a plan, though, being able to go to them with something and say, look, we've had this idea. It'd be fabulous if you could get on board with it, but here's what the plan looks like and this is what we're trying to yeah. achieve. And the players will go, oh, that looks all right. Can we change that? Um, probably wouldn't do that. I mean, we were gifted Norman for so long in the 80s, you know, popping up out of the water with the shark fin on and jumping out yeah. of helicopters. I mean, Norman would do anything for publicity. You're not going to get that sort of stuff. Necessarily. But I don't think you need to either. It's a different year and something a little more cerebral and a bit more... Um, yeah. Anyway, I, I think. But I, I, I think there's been there's been 
a lot of kitschy stuff done yeah. for a long time as well that was poorly done. The players become tentative to do it or they just it just doesn't do anything. Um, you know, I was a part of a, a thing at the, the, the Aussie PGA one year where Beef Johnston was brought out to the marquees around the par three 16th hole, yeah, I want to say it is. Yeah. Um, and he was brought out before the tournament started and served up meat pies and the beer sponsor at the time. It, it got nothing in terms of traction. It was great fun for us. He hung around, had a few beers and a few party pies, but it, it didn't really do much in terms of moving the needle and getting people out there to watch the golf tournament. When it's organised so, by a sponsor, it's not. It's just not authentic. No. no. It's, it lacks. Yeah. Anyway. We, as opposed to everything with Greg Norman, yeah. which is very <laughs> Well, in, in a funny way, it kind of is because he was always into it, Norman. Yeah. He was into the show of it. It was authentic for him because he enjoyed doing that stuff. Yeah. A bit like you see some of the Americans that get nabbed by the European Ryder Cup social team or the European Tour social team, they don't get it so much. Whereas most of the European players, when they buy into it, I tire of some of the stuff they do, but most of it's really good because the players buy in and it is authentic. The players are enjoying it and having a bit of fun with it. So done right, it can really work. So look, I, it'll probably mostly fall on deaf ears. And as you've said many times, like I wouldn't be like to be the one at the head of the table saying we're sh- <laughs> We're shifting direction with the Australian Open. It's not about the sponsors anymore. Yeah, I mean, there's do no doubt different. it loses but. money. <laughs> Just if you put us in charge, we might well plough it into the ground and yeah. it'd be the, the other thing would be spectacular. The other thing we're well placed to do here, in fact, is corner a very um, potentially lucrative but really important slice of the women's golf market. We could have great women's tournaments here in Australia and a great swing of them without having almost any of the issue. If you had the men's game money, in women's golf here in Australia, you could do something pretty good, a really good swing down here. And I think the Australian Women's Open has proved it in Adelaide, what a fabulous fit that's been. I think it surprised them how successful that's been, but it's a fantastic week of golf over there. You could build on that and do some more. And and the other success stories in Australian golf have been on the coattails of women's golf success as well. It's elevated the Vic Open, yeah. um, which would be nothing without the women. <laughs> it's... They're, they're the stars at that tournament and uh, the players series as well, which I, I think has been very good, uh, very successful. And uh, especially for a first year, it's a good example of doing something different. And Exactly. It'd be really interesting to see that this year, won't it? Yeah. What changes, what gets done better. And I hope they take some risks and, you know, you, hope, you don't hope some of it doesn't work, but I hope they take some risks and some of it doesn't work. Terrific. Get rid of that for next year, but keep trying, keep doing stuff. So I think there'll be a few more, play a series events on the calendar I this so. year. They're, they're look, it's an opportunity they should grab because you've got players stuck here who can't get out, can't, can't yeah, play and, they and want to play. There's crowds that want to see it. It was it was a really great event, yeah. the one at Bonnie Doon I went to last year and, and caddied at and, and did some work out over the weekend. It was it was magnificent. So give it give it more chance to grow and yeah. fail on the way to growing. That that happens. Well, engage the golf audience first. This is the thing with the Australian Opens, we immediately think about engaging the broader audience beyond golf. Well, let's grab the golf audience first, which we do not have a good hold of here in Australia, let's no. be completely honest. Get them in first and then let the rest follow. And uh, I think the, this Australian Open, despite the fact we talk about being the one to say let's change direction, this is, if there is one in early 2022 – is the chance to to maybe change things up a little bit with a short lead in time and it, but to to sort of test the depth of the waters um, you know I don't think we even we don't even have a confirmed hundred percent date at this stage yeah, uh, venue still it's not you know 
It can't. So just if you're gonna, if it's gonna run, give it a chance to be different and see what happens. Because um, the golf audience overseas wants to watch golf in Australia, but we've got to get it right, and and we're a long way from that at this stage. But um, yeah, you know, I'm not, I'm not putting my hand up to run tournament golf in this country because <laughs> good lord, no, I haven't got time for no, that. That's not palatable at all. In fact, we haven't got time for anything else. Let's call it a day. Uh, Jimmy, been fabulous to have you along. Good of you to get up early being an almost young person. So thank you for that. We appreciate it. It's my absolute pleasure. <laughs> You're probably up until midnight. You are You are one of those types. Good, exactly. Good to have you along, Logue, as always. Thanks very much, Ron. Thanks, Jimmy. I'll, I'll, I'll find the Homer car link. I think that's your highlight for this week, <laughs> the Homer car. I'm going to find the Homer car link. I'm going to put it in the show notes. That's it for episode 91 of the Good Good Golf Podcast. We'll be back next week with episode 92 here at the Good Good Golf Podcast.